Warning, this podcast is rated not safe for work for profanity, sexual innuendo, and general silliness. Do it to the cloud, do it to the computer. It's it's recording to the computer. Okay, good. Nailed it. Nailed it for this edition of the Macabre Academy, coming to you live from what looks to be Stephanie's bedroom. Okay, wait, it's not live. Number one. And it's yet, live for us. True. Through. It's live in front of a studio audience. Well, Sound Maiden's gonna have to really fix the audio so this doesn't sound like garbage, but the broom closet has been temporarily disabled. I think what actually happened is that we've hit on one we've hit too close to one too many true things that we've done on this pod, and that they're coming after us to stop us from being able to record. Are you saying the man's trying to shut us down? Which is why your internet keeps going out during Mm. shows and now since that doesn't work they're just disabling the whole thing fair i think this is what it is we really need to be careful at least it's like the man coming after me like if this happened to brandy it would be a ghost right well it could be it could be aliens yeah i'm more inclined to think it's aliens could be aliens i mean we come for them like every episode we really do but you know what we got to work into this episode well we got to work into this episode Ancient assassin theorists. Yes, definitely. I already worked on a shirt design for it, so we have to... I I saw that. It's fantastic. Okay, great. So we need to figure out when in this ancient tale of woe, there was assassins being deployed. Always. There's always (laughs) assassins. Somewhere. Right? Actually, I'm going to... It might not even be related to this, but they're always out there. It's like 7-Eleven. They're not always doing business, but they're always open. Did you just quote the Bonox Saints? I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anywho, I'm particularly proud of this episode because it's something we haven't really touched yet. Like nougat. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like nougat. I hope this one's Okay, sucks. I think we got all the silliness out of ourselves <laughs> for a minute or two. But yeah, it we're garbage. There's no way we're going to make it through the whole podcast and not have something silly. No. But okay. Uh, in case anybody's wondering, our studio audience is stuffed animals and cats. Oh, uh, like my chair. <laughs> yes. Stuffies. And my snake Icarus is also in this room. So. Oh, well, I couldn't see him. So, yes. Hi, Icarus. See, we have a studio audience. It's a live studio audience. Okay. Fair. Fair. All right. All right. Maybe we can get Sound Maiden to bring a laugh track in every now and then. Sound Maiden, laugh track, please. (laughs) That'd be great if it was just random, too. Just just random throughout the podcast, just a laugh track. All right, my challenge for Sound Maiden, please, is to find at least three other appropriate spots to put a laugh track. because Or I will take inappropriate also. Fair. Appropriate, inappropriate. I don't really care. I just want him in here. Let's do it. I mean, I'm, Sound Maiden doesn't mind, right? She's our Tinkerbell. I love her so much. That's the only reason right. she's never been on the podcast. You know I, that, right? What? Sound Maiden. What about her? She's our Tinkerbell. Ah. Yeah. Does that okay. mean you need to give her more attention in the group chat? Probably. So she doesn't die? But clap your hands if you believe. So much for getting back on track. <laughs> Oh, not on track. Okay. So in a different vein this week, we are looking at 
first gems. Yes. I'm sorry. I was excited. Okay. So what happened was, is my Facebook goes here. You might like this article. Did you like the article? I did. And I opened it up in my Chrome browser and I let it sit for like a month and a half. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I have to, I have to come back to this. So the original article was called The Unbelievable Story of the Black Orlov, a Cursed Diamond from NaturalDiamonds.com. I was like, ooh, okay. Well, their article was shitty. So, of course, I had to of do a deep, it was. Yeah, deep dive. Deep, deep, deep dive. And while I was assembling a list of cursed gems, because one isn't enough, a lot of them are fucking diamonds. Most diamonds are fucking cursed. I swear to God. I swear. So I picked two and there's a couple other different kinds of gems because I don't want cursed diamonds episode because I hate diamonds. I don't like them at all. Okay. You ready to dig deep? Sure. I have to just tap my phone and scroll, but I don't think there's a lot of digging there. (laughs) Okay. So this story of the black Orlov is a story about the seventh Largest black diamond ever recovered. Ooh. 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 Okay, so it's also called the Eye of Brahma for its discovery in 19th century India. If it's the eye of anything, you should just leave it alone. You'd think they would do that, but they don't. You think they would have learned by now? Mm-mm. Eye of anything, leave it the fuck alone. If Indiana Jones taught us anything, it's that you could hide in a refrigerator. To escape an atomic bomb. That movie doesn't exist. We're not, we're not, no. Fun fact though, do you know what the original time machine in uh, um, Back to the Future was? Instead of the man, the instead of, instead of the DeLorean, instead of the DeLorean, what was it originally written as? A train? A refrigerator. And then when they were reading the script, they went, no, this is stupid. Find something else. I mean, is it any better than a police box? I was just saying it's funny because we laugh at it in the in the Indiana Jones movie, but that's uh-huh. what it that's what got kicked out of Back to the Future. So if it wasn't good enough for Back to the Future, why the fuck would it be good enough for fucking Indiana Jones? Because that movie is garbage. I literally stood up at the theater at the end of that movie and I went, I fucking waited 30 years for this. Although, you know what is in that movie that we've talked about on this podcast? Aliens? Long skulls. Yes. So, the only reason, before I get into these gems, okay, but I'm going to get on my soapbox for like half a second. The only reason I acknowledge the fourth movie of Indiana Jones at all, because it's one of my favorite series of all times, next to Godzilla, okay, um, is that each movie was written in a time period and the villain was appropriate to the fears of the culture at the time. So, you know, you had the Nazis, right. And then you had like international travel, you know, and then you had like, you know, it was appropriate, the villain. Right. So I got really pissed when they picked fucking aliens for the fourth Indiana Jones. However, that was something in popular culture in the fifties in which the film was set. What was even more disappointing to me is that everything I read about that production of that movie was supposed to be original effects, no CGI. 
that movie was like 75% CGI. They couldn't even train a fucking grand, groundhog, a real one, to poke its head out of a fucking hole. They had to CGI that shit, let alone the fire ants crawling up the crotches and the cars. Like, why? There wasn't CGI. No. Those I, movies mean, we just, were- I mean, we just grabbed a groundhog and dragged him out of his burrow this week, so. Right. You couldn't just get a, get a groundhog. And just train it to stick its head out of a fucking hole and then give it a little piece of cheese and then let it go live its groundhog life. Like, I don't understand. Would it be living its best groundhog life? I feel like after being in a movie, it would be. Would it get a, would it get a little jacket from the movie? Like oh, my God. Jacket? If they put a little, like, hat on him, a little Indiana Jones hat. No, I mean, just like a little crew, like a Letterman jacket, just a little crew jacket. Just <laughs> said, I think that would be amazing. You know what? We're like 10 minutes in and we haven't even talked about the gems that much. Would the groundhog have an IMDb? Heaven. Speaking of which, did you see that the Screen Actors Guild wanted to throw Trump out and then he wrote a nasty letter saying, no, I quit? No, I don't. Why? I don't know. They were going to kick him out for something. I didn't read the whole article. And then he fired back with with like a profanity race place tirade and there he's like you can't kick me out i quit they're like okay fine we don't have to pay you a pension now perfect (laughs) okay so uh podcast because we're bantering quite a bit i know everybody loves the banner but i have 13 pages of notes this is this is serious okay all right black or lob diamond black diamonds black diamonds matter yeah. So the legend said that it was set in one of the eyes of a statue for the Hindu god Brahma. Leave and, that shit alone. Right? A Jesuit cleric cleric stole it. And then that for the gem is now cursed. I know, right? Actually, Jesuits will come into the next episode I'm working on too. So we're get familiar with the Jesuits at the moment. Put a pin in it though. In 1932, the stone was brought to New York City. Uh, It was by this guy, J.W. Paris, who was a European diamond dealer. He found a buyer for the gem, but shortly after, he leapt to his death from a Manhattan skyscraper. So it was literally like a month or two after he sold it. So, lovely. Her strikes number one. Now he had two letters in his pocket at the time of his death. One was for his wife and the other was for another jeweler. There were kind of like whispers that he was suffering from anxiety over his business. But of course, the curse legend loomed larger, basically. So the diamond then finds itself in the possession of two other way okay so it belongs to two russian princesses i'm gonna butcher the names but here we go leonella latsine bariatinsky and nadia vigin orlov okay let's just go with that all right it's bad so the diamond is off obviously named after nadia During the 1917 Russian Revolution, Princess Nadia fled Russia to the safety of Rome. 
in Italy, right? As did the Russian royals at that time. It sometime later, December 2nd, 1947, just to be precise, uh, some 15 years later, after the death of J.W. Paris, when Princess Nadia leapt to her death from a building in the central realm. And it was believed to have been a suicide as well. Now, at the time of her death, the uh, princess was the wife of a Russian jeweler. But that's pretty much all they know about that. Uh, one month previous to Nadia's death, Another Russian royal, which is the other princess, Leona, or Leonila, whatever her name, she had also leapt to her death in a supposed suicide. Although it's Russia, so you never know if it was suicide or they just got thrown out of the window. Yeah. What sucks is there's really no further details available about her life at the time of her fatal jump. Although it was later discovered that previous to her death, she had been the owner of the stone as well. So, of course, again, the Black Olaf is sur- like creating suspicion around the circumstances of her death. So, yay there. Yay, diamonds. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to jump to the 1950s which is a bit of a time jump, but that's what we do around here. If you can't keep up, if you're new, we don't have a lot of, we don't have a, we don't really structure things. It just kind of flows. Yeah. This is an inappropriate timeline. This is the first time I put an inappropriate timeline together. (laughs) For those of us on the video podcast, you can see my flow. Your flow is not that fluid. It's a little jagged. I'm a white guy. What do you want from me? Not to jump. No, uh, no, definitely no jump. It feels like work. You ever sit. see that movie, White Men Can't Jump? Of course I've seen that movie. Oh, God, I haven't watched that in forever. That's on the list to watch. So now we're talking about 1950s, and we're talking about Charles F. Winson, who purchased the diamond and attempted to break the curse by splitting it into three pieces, which the process of splitting it apparently took uh, two years. Seems like a long time to split a diamond. Yeah, you'll see that in a couple other the gems that got broken up. Like it, they don't just like tapity tap tap, and then the gem splits apart. Lot, I don't know a lot about splitting up diamonds, so maybe that's a short time. Any diamond enthusiast or experts can can get back to us for some house points and let us know. That's fair. The largest piece that we see today comes in at sixty-seven and a half carats. It is set in a brooch with, I'm sorry, it is set in a brooch of 108 diamonds, not with 108 other diamonds. So I got confused there for a second. Yeah, because, you know, somebody else wrote the notes. I read over them. Okay. I just read it wrong. I tried. And it is accompanied by a necklace with a chain that is embedded with 124 more diamonds. You know what goes good with a diamond? uh, Poison soup? No, more diamonds. Oh. Ocean's uh, Ocean's 8 has been on TV a whole bunch recently. Oh, I didn't understand the reference. I've not not really watched those. Oh, Ocean's 8 is fantastic. I'll get around to it. Do you know why they call it Ocean's 8? Because it's 
You told me that's another episode. Yeah, you can go back and listen to the other episode. Or get your answers in for some house points. Yeah, I mean, we really need some house points right now. I'm, I'm losing faith in my point system <laughs> at this point. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm at least House guys... Barnum won, you know, January. So there's that. Go Tara. I'm giving them every possible chance. And I think Andrew did send in a tweet, a tweeter for house points. All right. Well, we'll cut, we'll recount house points later this evening. I'm pretty sure he did the new food challenge, but I could be wrong. I'll have to log into our Twitter account and look because I did favorite it or I did heart it, but I don't know how much you're doing heart. We'll figure it out later. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This was a little. Be- this was a little behind the scenes. I hope you enjoyed our production meeting in the middle of our podcast. And we're only on the first gem. <laughs> we really just need to FaceTime randomly throughout the week so we get this all out of our system before we start the podcast. You are not wrong. <laughs> now, the gem is now broken into three separate pieces. One of them is the brooch with the bunch of diamonds, which led us down that rabbit hole. Also, watch Ocean's 8. It's fantastic. We split the diamond up. Three pieces now. Necklace. More diamonds, because everybody needs more diamonds. We split this up now, and we are confident that the curse is broken, and it was purchased by a diamond dealer named Dennis... Peepmas. Sure. I'm going with Peepmas. Well, that reminds me. I'm going to see if Peepmas came out this year. Wow, I'm really out of roll tonight. We're confident the di- we're confident the curse is broken. The diamond has been purchased. The black Orlov diamond still fascinates people around the world to this day. It has been displayed at the American Museum of Natural History in 1951. The wonderful world of fine jewelry and gifts at the Texas State Fair and the Diamond Pavilion in Johannesburg, South Africa in 67. Felicity Huffman, I feel like I should know who that is. You will. And she wore it to the Oscars in 2006. And she was getting a lot of buzz about her appearance in Trans America, in contrast to her breakout role in Desperate Housewives, she would have been the first person in quite some time to wear the diamond. But according to NaturalDiamonds.com, it was a last-minute decision not to. It's speculated that it was probably for the best since Reese Witherspoon brought home the coveted golden statue. And she has been awarded a worse fate. Avoided. Oh, I'm sorry. Avoided a worse fate the curse would have brought. Yeah, so what's interesting is there this I diamond. I don't know who that is. If you look at her face, you'll know exactly who she is. I will go to the Googles. Other search engines are available. Right. Not so the Black Orlov only took like three or four lives. According to court, court curse lore, what's more <laughs> extensive is the no, famous. I don't know who she is. 
All right. Well, then don't worry about it. I think I'm Dustin Hoffman. Is that why you recognize Huffman? I didn't say I recognized any part of it. I just said I don't know who she is. Well, okay. So the Hope Diamond is our next Jim Rue. And it has quite a longer history of a curse than our little Ola or Ola or Love Black Diamond. Okay. Olaf is adorable though. That little snowman. I love him. He's so cute. Um you're getting me off track. Wait. I try my best. We're talking about the Hope Diamond now. Right. <laughs> One of the most famous jewels in the world. Yes, and this 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 fucker can be dated back for centuries. So this is going to take a minute. Guess where the gem came from? Uh, aliens. India. Aliens. Okay, yeah. But apparently there's a lot of aliens in India. The original formation, they actually dated the, the diamond uh, for its uh, creation point which is approximately 1.1 billion years ago. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this particular one is very interesting. Okay. The stone is 45.54 carats. The blue color is rare. And there are trace amounts of boron atoms. Okay. So we know I love this stem. So we're going to do a little science here. Okay. Ooh, science. Yeah. Doing the science. I love the science. I'm learning the science. So this blue diamond, okay, emits a red glow. It has an unusually intense and strongly colored type of luminescence. And after being exposed to shortwave ultraviolet light, the diamond produces a brilliant red phosphorescence, which is glow in the dark effect, basically. It's you with the big words. I know. I'm surprised I didn't fuck that one up because I've already been fucking up short words. <laughs> All right. So um, it will retain the glow in the dark effect for some time after the light has been turned off. And they think that that glow of red in this blue diamond uh, helped fuel the reputation of this gem being cursed. What's interesting, right, which is what I'm trying to get to, is the red glow helped scientists fingerprint blue diamonds. So it's part of a way to tell if they're real versus artificial. Also, that red glow indicates that there's a different mix of boron and nitrogen in the stone. And that makes it a rare scientific specimen. And this one changed our understanding of how diamonds are even formed naturally. So curse aside, right? That's part of the imagination of this gem. So Jean-Baptiste Tavernier was the first gem merchant to purchase the Hope Diamond back in 1660. If you can't tell by the name, he's French, okay? And some evidence actually indicates that he might have stolen the gem as well. A good curse to a gem usually starts off with a stolen one. We do love the French on this podcast, though. We do. Did you hear that um, Tara and Sophia speak French on the Patreon? No. 
sometimes their episode corrections are a correction of the French pronunciation and they are beautiful. I could just listen to them talk to French, like talk in French all day. It's stunning. Um, Okay. Back on track. I can do the thing. Okay. So Tavernier. Yeah. That guy. Okay. Because he brought back the stone originally. It was called the Tavernier blue. And it was the precursor to the blue diamond of the French crown. And it changed its name after it was sold to Louis the 14th. And if you notice in the notes, I did not use any Roman numerals this time. It says 14th. I got smart. So they called the, the, the hope diamond violet, which was a synonym for blue. Okay. We, I think we, differentiate a little bit more between violet and blue now. But at that time, it weighed 115, between 115 and 122 carats. And there's actually sketches in Tavernier's books, The Six Voyages, on how large the stone was. So they could guesstimate the carats from that. Now, Louis XIV commissioned his court jeweler, Jean Patel, we're going to go with that. It's fine. Patou. Patou? Yeah. So recut the gem and it was cut into 67.125 carats. And then they set that into a cravat pin. Do you want a cravat? It's... No. Oh, I had to look it up. Okay. So it's a fancy name for a neck scarf worn by royalty. So it was sort of a mix between like an ascot and a tie. And that little pin kept it together. So it took two years to form it into a piece that was like pigeon egg shape. And then the gem was worn by the king for ceremonies. Again, the gem was reset for Louis XV into a larger, more uh, uh, elaborate pendant. But then it fell into general disuse. What's funny is, is they removed it from the setting in 1787, did a little mini like scientific investigation and then returned it back to its setting. So as we remember from history of the world, part one, five years later, Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette were imprisoned during the reign of terror. Okay, so the royal storehouse was broken into by thieves, and that looting spree lasted five days. Nice. Yeah. I like a good five-day looting spree. Six is a little too long. Four, you might not have enough time. Five is really the perfect. If you're going on a looting spree, five is really the proper amount of days, at least in my opinion. I mean, I'm not here to debate a proper looting spree, so I'm inclined to agree with you. All right. I'm going to redirect if I may. <laughs> I was only giving you extra time to finish drinking your beverage. It's my coffee. We're doing the coffee today. It's a caramel banana oh, cappuccino. Ooh, that good. Yeah, I got, I got, I got smancy at the sheets. You sure did. Okay. So after the beheading of the French monarchy on January 21st of 1793, that is a miracle. <laughs> Oh my God, I know the. I wanted a quote to follow up and I couldn't think of one. I completely blanked. Anyway, continuing. Uh, this helped fuel the Stones' curse. Um, 
what's interesting is Marie Antoinette, you know, known for her lavish lifestyle, yada, 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 probably never wore that shit because it was reserved for the king. But after the French Revolution, it was smuggled in 1792 and then recut into two pieces. And then the history becomes really spotty at best. It was written that the stone was butchered since it's lost some of its extraordinary luster. The the stone, okay, so this fucking diamond lost 23.5 carats. The largest section became known as the Hope Diamond at this point, named after the London banking family that had acquired it. Though it passed hands from the Hope family, since then, it eventually landed up in the possession of the Smithsonian Museum in 1958, which brings us to a Kevin for the cursed mythology. Could go either way. Kevin or cursed. Six or one half a dozen of the other. You're not stuck doing this podcast with me, so I think that's a curse. But <laughs> Actually, you got roped into it. I think you're more cursed than me. I know. I and it's officially too cold to smoke right now, even in my condo. So I'm going to be doing this tobacco-free for a while. It's supposed to be fucking frigid this weekend. I really hope you don't have to go anywhere. It's supposed to be really, really cold. I'm going to work. Like sub-zero temperatures. Bring it. I'm so not happy about this. I'm like, this is just way too fucking cold. Anyway, the mythology of the curse. It brings uh, misfortune and tragedy to persons who own it or wear it. And there are strong indications that such stories were fabricated to enhance the stone's mystery and appeal since increased publicity usually raised the gem's value and newsworthiness. Since the gem was found in India, creative Victorians rumored that the Hope Diamond was removed from the statue of Sita, where it had been Sita. set. Thank you. I just studied uh, Indian deity, so I know that her name was Sita. No, that's, listen, my, I'm a white guy. I screwed it up. You better correct me. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm trying my best. So, it's good that you corrected me because I was wrong. So they they said that it had been set as an eye in the statue. The goddess is the one of sacrifice, purity, and love, who was married to Rama. Am I right? Mm-hmm. All right. The seventh avatar of the god Vishnu. Yes. The story goes on that French gem merchant Jean-Baptiste Tavernier sounds like she's on a tavern, doesn't it? Really does. I'm like, if there was a French word for tavern, that would be it. Tavernier. Yes. One of us should look this up while the other one's reading and figure out what the French word for tavern is. My phone is in another room. You have a computer in front of you. So the story goes that this guy came down with a raging fever soon after stealing the diamond or acquiring the diamond, however you want to look at it, and he died. It's called, wait, it's called Tavern. Close. Yeah. Did you know the French word for pet is animal de compagnie? I don't speak French. I don't. I I just didn't know if you knew that. I like to think about that sometimes because I find it interesting. 
I got nothing. Because it's like Animal of Companion. Is oh, the that's sweet. So it's like, I just like to think about that sometimes. It makes me smile. You and your cats are animals of companions. Although it's a really long way to say pet. It's very, it seems, it seems a little maybe obsessed. we don't say, we don't take enough time to say pet. This is true. Just then, just throwing that out in the universe. Yes. So the fun part of this story, which I didn't finish, which I really should, was that the guy who stole the diamond came down with a raging fever soon after and died. Where his, And on top of that, his body was possibly ravaged by wolves in Constantinople. Not Istanbul. Constantinople. The fun, part was he, the fun part was he lived to the ripe old age of 84, which goes back to another episode of our podcast that we've done recently. The Mandela effect. Oh. Listen back for more listen back for more information on the Mandela effect. I love how you're more abreast of our past episodes at this point than me, because they're all just blurring together after like almost 50 episodes. In an article entitled Hope Diamond Has Brought Trouble to All Who Owned It, it appeared in the Washington Post, which is a which is a periodical of note. They have beautiful and, covers. And this was in 1908, or 08, as they used to say back in the day. Mm. An additional account of the Hope Diamond's cursed origin was a fanciful and anonymously written newspaper article in 1909. It was followed by yet another article in the New York Times in 1911, which gave a list of supposed cases of ill fortune, but with few confirmations from other sources. Are you ready for this list? It is very serious. That's a long list. I know. You're really good at reading lists, though, so I saved it for you. All right. We have Jacques Quillette who bought the Hope Diamond from Simon Frankel and died of suicide. Prince Ivan Katanovsky? What? Sure. Yeah, we'll go with Kantanovsky. that. I'll go with that, too. Bought it from Colette and was killed by Russian revolutionists, as one does. Uh, the same guy loaned it to Mir Ledoux, who was Murdered by her sweetheart, Simon Mechadaris. Sure. Yeah, whatever. Who had once sold it to the Turkish Sultan and then drove his car over a cliff. The accident killed himself, his wife, and his child. Then we have Sultan Hamad. Hamad? Yes, Hamad. No, you. Hamid, thank you. That's what I was groping for there. Gave it to Abu Sabir to quote unquote polish it, but Sabir was later tortured and imprisoned. Well, imprisoned and then tortured. Usually they like to have at least the imprisonment first because it's kind of hard to torture somebody while they're running. Well, you could torture them and then put them in their prison cell. 
True, but it's, yeah. it's still usually it's still usually better to like actually have physical custody of them before you try to torture somebody because yeah. doing it as they're trying to run can be kind of difficult. Listen here, guys. All right, do you learn anything about a true crime po- podcast? Secure said person before you torture them. We Just really saying. need to get back to our true. I feel like if we stuck to our true crime roots, we'd probably have more listeners. Those are the the big episodes or the the true crime cases. The problem is, is if I do too many back to back to back to back, I emotionally get like horrified. Okay, well, pass them over to me. I'll take care of it. Maybe we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right, you're only halfway through your list. Yes, the Stone Guardian, uh, Kolub Bay, was hanged by a mob in Turkey. A Turkish attendant named I am not even going to try that. I am far too white. Haver Aga Agha. Sure. He was hanged for simply having it in his position. Possession. Possession. What position was he in with that gem? (laughs) I'm not here to kink shame. Although the guy who was hanged. I wonder if that might not have been ancient alien assassinists coming to get the gem back. Wow, you just took all those things and mushed it together and I executed sure the pronunciation perfectly. <laughs> Looking through those lists, and I feel like it's a perfect example of ancient assassins. Like, that's literally what happened. They just used the diamond to cover up all these deaths. Yes, I, I believe you're I believe you're correct. Mm-hmm. So, moving on from the ancient assassin, astronaut, theorists, aliens. We're moving now to King Louis, who gave the gem to Madame de Montesman? Yes. Sure. Yes, whom he later abandoned. She died in poverty. We have Nicholas Foucault. Sure. The intendant of France who borrowed it temporarily to wear but was disgraced and died in prison. Temporary wearer Princess de Lambal. Was torn to pieces by a French mob during the revolution. Jeweler mm-hmm. William Falls, who recut the stone, died a ruined man with no further explanation in the notes. Because this is what they said in these newspaper articles. That's the worst part. His son, Hendrik. Stole the jewel from his father and later died by suicide. A lot of suicides in here, which is the hallmark of a really good ancient alien assassin. Theorist. (laughs) I really want to see your business cards when we're done with this podcast. Some years after Hendrik, it was sold to Francis de Blue, who died in misery and want. We could go on, but you get the idea. A lot of ancient alien assassinates, assassin theorists. 
I'm not saying it was ancient alien assassins, but it was ancient alien assassins. Well, it was later suggested that jeweler Pierre Cartier, sure. Further, Cartier? Cartier. Wow, it's car and tear, like a tear cake. Cartier, fine. They have, they're, they're a famous old fashion what? house. Okay. Uh, okay. And a friend of mine used to be VP of their sales. Oh, okay. That's fair. Okay. So we're going to go with that. So Pierre fueled the whisper by applying elements of Wilkie Collins' novel, The Moonstone, to the Ho- mm-hmm. Hope Diamond Tale, basically. Uh, I'm also doing some last-minute research, so if I'm supposed to say something, throw something at me. Oh, it's okay. For some reason, I put in about Evelyn and Ned McLean's visit to the Cartier store in Paris. Don't know why, but sure. So he obtained the diamond in 1911. Now, it was assumed Cartier embroidered the story in an attempt to convince them to buy the diamond. Oh, this is why I put the notes in there. So the story successfully enticed Evelyn to later purchase the diamond, and she 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 became she soon she soon became one of the most iconic owners of the Hope Diamond. While evidence suggests that the curse was fabricated to increase the publicity, the mystery, and the appeal in the 20th century, misfortune still followed thereafter. Mrs. McLean's mother-in-law passed. Her son died at the age of nine. And her husband divorced her for another woman soon after dying in a mental hospital. Then her daughter died from a drug overdose at 25. And the family lost their fortunes to bankruptcy. Even the mailman who delivered the Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian after it was donated by Harry Winston in 1958, suffered a crushed leg injury. After that, his house caught on fire and both him, his wife and dog died soon after. Evelyn's surviving children sold the diamond to Harry Winston. Nine years later, Winston mailed the gem to the Smithsonian for $2.44 in postage and $155 in insurance. Now, this well, there is... You the, go, then. Huh? There you go, then. Right. Well, as it stands as a permanent part of their collection, the stone values today between $200 and $350 million. And he mailed it for $2.44. It's great. All right. So I, like I said, I could go on with the cursed diamonds. I've just chosen not to for the sake of the title being cursed gems. So if you want to look up more cursed diamonds, you have the Koenor, the Sansi, the Regent, the Blue, the Cullen Diamond, a.k.a. the Star of Africa. And then there's like the Orlov Black Diamond. And then there's a regular Olaf Diamond. So it's different from the black one. That one is also supposedly cursed. So have fun looking those up. They sound very similar to the two we already did. You guys have homework now. Yeah, have fun. Yeah. Or don't. I'm not here to pressure you. Really? Yeah. 
Witches, I am in love with this family-run business, Mystical Existence, the bath products that turn your ordinary self-care ritual into a celestial experience. As a witch, my bathing habits are sacred, so I was overjoyed to find products that not only smell amazing, but don't irritate my sensitive skin. My favorite scent is Scorpio which was designed with Maggie's daughter and the perfume her mother used to wear at heart. All soaps, lotions, and bath bombs are handmade with supplies that are purchased from ethical and responsible manufacturers. A portion of the products are vegan for all you animal lovers out there. As the wheel of the year turns, new products are designed to match the seasons. Currently only available In the United States, you can find Mystical Existence on Facebook, Instagram, or at their website, mysticalexistence.com. For 15% off, use our promo code MACABRE. That's M-A-C-A-B-R-E. We are now going to talk about the Dale... Dolly? I really got to start figuring out pronunciation before we do these things. It's <laughs> probably Dolly. I'm, I'm sure that's fine. It, it's a purple sapphire that we're talking about now. The stone is actually an amethyst. 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 That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I want <like> amethyst. <laughs> amethyst traps? <laughs> I don't know. I like it's thirsty. I'm a thirsty. I feel like that should be a thirst. I, th- I feel like that should be a Twitter account. What? Amethyst, just amethyst <laughs> gems in like thirst trap positions with like little bikinis or like. <laughs> no. Oh no. <laughs> well, this gem now revol- revolves. It resides, not revolves, in the vault of the National History Museum in London alongside other such precious stones as the Martian? Yes. Martian. Yes. I was trying to go for some weird fucking pronunciation. I'm like, wait, no, that's exactly You're like ready to be all fancy. (laughs) Like, wait, no, that's not even close. (laughs) So it's that meteorite that I was trying to fuck up. And then the Medusa Emerald. The stone itself is not particularly remarkable in any way. It's set in a rather unattractive silver ring and decorated with mysterious alchemical. There you go. And astrological signs. Amethyst's name comes from the Greek word amethystos, meaning not intoxicating, as in ancient times it was thought that the crystal would prevent you from getting drunk. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's a very popular, very popular form of quartz. So I, I really had to get a little witchy here. So I just, uh, yeah. So quick time out for, yeah. Which we need a witchy minute here. Okay. Can we call it that? A witchy Hold minute. Up. A witchy minute. 
Oh, we're totally. That's definitely a new thing. <laughs> okay. We are making this happen. All right. So for your, I need a witchy minute here. Amethyst. Make sure you take your witchy sixty seconds every day to maintain proper life witch. <laughs> life witch. What? I don't know. I ran out of. I ran out of ideas there halfway through. <laughs> okay, Balance. So- there you go. Balance. Right. How about so, that? Okay. It balances your chakras if you take a witch minute. It does. <laughs> I feel like this is a new app we could we could design and put any any coding. We're trademarking people? this now. A witch minute. It's, it's any ours. any any uh, programmers out there want to help us? Okay. So amethyst. Okay, it's yes. one of my favorite stones too. So this is why I had to be like, hold up here. Its association is with protection, balance, and clarity. And I love that it originally was used in Tibetan prayer reads to meditate without the interference of emotion or anger. And it's also reported to help open up a person's third eye. Some find it, including myself, useful for treating addiction or anxiety since it promotes serenity and calm. It's also said to absorb negativity. Not only is it spiritually healing, but these stones can resonate on a physical level and that could potentially help revive vitality. So this basically means it can help aid in strengthening the immune system help with skin conditions, regulate hormones, invigorate the respiratory symptoms, systems. That's symptoms. Yeah. Well, you can have <laughs> respiratory system symptoms in your system that need alleviated, or it can also help soothe headaches. I think it's really easy to see why it's a favorite among, you know, witches and metaphysical crystal practitioners. Um, but yeah, so I just, I just felt like I had to, Pop it in there. <laughs> it's a very versatile stone. Okay, proceed. Sorry. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give the audience a minute here to make it make a guess, and then we'll move on. Any ideas where the stone may have been stolen out of? That's right, India. <laughs> I like this to be. I like this to be an indi- be an interactive podcast, you know? <laughs> I can't hear your answer, but you should definitely be giving me one. <laughs> or you can yeah, hit us up or you can hit us up on the Twitter, the Macabre, Macabre Academy, or my personal one at Notorious DUK. I need some friends. Help me out here. I'm tweeting random people I don't know about my shoes. So I really could use some help. I could really use some interaction on my tweets. I'm shameless. I really am. I need interaction. I need people. <laughs> But I need people through a screen, people in person, not so much. And that's even outside of COVID. I just don't like interacting with people in person. But anyway, the stone was stolen out of India because why wouldn't it be? And this happened during the 1857 rebellion. And on top of that, it has a long history of petting my cat and despair and devastation. It was originally looted from the temple of Indra. Indra. Yes, we'll go with that. Uh, who is the Hindu god of war and the weather? 
because apparently war's not enough. You gotta get you gotta put the weather in there too. It's like, well, you need favor favorable conditions on the battlefield. I'm just saying. Yeah, I feel like that would be a different god, though. Not this. I feel like that's a lot of work. Well, okay, so you're not the god of warm weather. You can be like the god of staying at home and petting your cats. You can be Jeff, the god of biscuits. No? Okay. A Bengal cavalryman named Colonel W. Ferris is said to have brought the stone to England after it was stolen out of the temple of Indra in Kampur. Yet the beautiful velvet stone... Violet. What did I say? Velvet. Mm. Like the material, it's yes. soft. Yes, I believe I did say that. I was petting my cat. Stop it. I was petting my cat at the time. So, you know, that happens. He's very velvety. He's very soft. So, the Violet Stone's sinister nature was soon manifested when he lost just about everything he owned and his health deteriorated. The same misery happened to his son, who inherited the stone, so he gave it to a friend who subsequently committed suicide. In an unsettling twist, that friend had willed the stone back to the son, who found the gem returned to him with a body count to its legend. In 1890, Edward... Edward... Heron, I screwed up the first name. I was going back to correct it. Edward Heron Allen received the stone. He was an ambitious man with an insatiable quest for knowledge, having written books on violin making, palmistry, and translations of Arabic literature. He was also a close friend to Oscar Wilde. He was not someone who bought into the mythology or superstition easily due to his education and academic success in the fields of science. Yet, he soon found himself rattled by a a series of disasters, perhaps not making the connection to his recent acquisition. He gave the stone to a friend who was a singer and suddenly found that her voice was dead and gone, and she never sang again. Despite, oh, I'm sorry, desperate to be rid of the thing, Heron Allen tossed it into the Regents. Yeah, Regents. 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 You're Canal. in rare form today. Rare I form. Really am. Yeah, really normally am. you get me. Uh, yet three months later, after having been rescued from the from the depths of the river by a dredger, a dealer gave it back to him. <laughs> Finally, in 1904, after the birth of his first daughter, Heron Allen declared Amethyst to be cursed and stained with blood. He had it... uh, Secreted. Oh, yes, that is the word secreted, isn't it? Away in his bank vault with set with... And then that within seven other lockboxes. Because apparently this thing can break out of one... Is it like a lock picking thing? You just it would, like it returned marks? from the depths of a canal. So I'm pretty sure he was making sure it stayed where he put it. That's true. 
Three years after his death, which occurred in 1943, he instructed his daughter to unlock the unlock the amethyst, but she was not ever to touch it or be in possession of it. It was given to the museum, although it was accompanied by a letter. Uh, it was accompanied by a letter that Ed had cautioned against the stone's evil history, reportedly reading, "Whoever shall open it shall first." read out this warning, and then do as he pleases with the jewel. My advice is to him to him or horror is to cast it into the sea. The curse continues, question mark, in 2004. In no, I heard that. Oh, poor kitty, what happened? Uh, Sherlock and River are playing. Oh. Like, Sherlock's laying on his back and just pawing at his sister, and she's just like, why are you doing this? And Sherlock's barking for no particular reason. This has been your cat update with Kevin. (laughs) I didn't know it was Cat 30. Oh, it's always Cat. And it's actually Cat 36. (laughs) So we're six minutes late for Cat 30. So in 2004, the gem was in the position possession of john whitaker a member of the natural history museum who was was tasked with transporting the stone to the heron allen society for an event during the journey mr whitaker and his wife were engulfed in a dramatic thunderstorm which trapped them in their car and mr whitaker claimed it to be the most horrific experience of his life he was tasked with transporting the stone a second time, after which he fell violently sick with a stomach bug. And then a third time before he was, and this was just before he was to take possession of the stone, he fell over in pain and he ended up passing a kidney stone. This one, this one I feel like has an easier timeline. Yes. Okay, we're almost there. Two left. So the Black Prince's Ruby. Now, this is an interesting time in gemstones, okay? Because anything red was called ruby. It wasn't until 1783 that spinels were differentiated from rubies based on their chemical compounds. So a red spinel is a compound of magnesium, iron, oxygen, and chromium. When a, where a, a, a ruby is the mineral conundrum. Is that a mineral? Did I, did I spell that wrong? Anyway, proceed. This spinel is special because it's the largest uncut spinel in the world, weighing 170 carats. A lot of carrots. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of carrots. Mm -hmm. You can make some good soup with that many carrots. Or a cake. I'd make a cake. 100%. Make a big-ass carrot cake. Mm -hmm. Some juice. You can get some good juice out of there, too. Any other carrot recipes while you're at it? Suggestions? No, I'm good for right now. Okay. I mean, you could just eat carrot, eat the carrots, or you could, you know, grill them, saute, put them in the Instant Pot, do a little pressure cooking. 
Put them in a stew. Roast them off in the oven. <laughs> you have that shit-eating smirk on your face. <laughs> I just realized I'm also saying the name wrong. It's a spinel. See, aren't you glad I stopped you so you could go yeah. back and reread? Yeah. Okay. So, fun fact. These this is gems- a professional podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> much. the fun fact. Yeah. This gem is actually considered to be rarer than rubies in occurrence. So, therefore, mm. they're more valuable. And this one I had to look up for my witchy minute, Okay. In magic, it's said to be a stone of immortality. It adds freshness to endeavors, clarifying thoughts, stimulate creativity, and initiate rejuvenation. Red is excellent for increasing vitality, confidence, and leadership. Did you also know that servers who wear red make 17 to 24% more in tips? I can believe that. I thought we were throwing up random things about the color red, so we're going to add to it. Oh, mom. Do you know, like, the pigments and lipstick are made from, like, crutch bugs? Make red? Yummy. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Okay. Oh, I was witchy minying, and you, and I, okay. So, spinel is high-energy stone. Used to lend, look, it'll lend the body some energy and heal energy blockages. It is also said to have a calming effect on inflammations, and it's said to speed the recovery of all diseases associated with movement, including issues with joints, bones, and muscles. They do say that. Yeah, that's what what they say. I I don't have a lot of personal experience with a spittle, but we're just going to roll with it. So the history of this... Gem begins in the middle of the 14th century. So Abu Said is a Arab Muslim prince of Granada. And he had the stone during the Christian reconquest of the Iberian Peninsula. Now he was aggressively targeted by Peter of Castile or Don Pedro the Cruel. Because Granada was the last Muslim outpost in Spain. Now, historical accounts explain that there was to be a surrender to Dawn by Abdu. After the arrival in Seville, where Mr. the Cruel is residing, okay, he has all of the Saeed's servants killed. And Dawn himself may have personally stabbed him to death, okay? So when Abdu's curse court, herps, dirt, Okay, so there's a corpse on their hands because they just fucking killed this guy. And the spindle was found and added to Don Pedro's loot. It was said that after the gruesome murder of the prince, it sparked the curse that would follow Don Pedro from that day on. The curse was said to have brought misfortune or even death to anyone who owned the Black Prince's ruby. They do say that. Yeah. Yeah. The half brother to Don the Cruel was Henry of. Tiramisu. Sure. Tiramisu. And he led a revolt against Don Pedro. 
He wasn't going to win that shit himself. So Don Pedro made an alliance with Edward III, a.k.a. the Black Prince of England. Now, the revolt was successfully squashed, and the Black Prince demanded the ruby as payment for his surfaces. The historians speculate that Don didn't want to part with this large fucking red stone, but he had just suffered a costly civil war, and he was in no position to decline. However, King Pedro's victory wouldn't last long as he engaged in more battles with his brother, resulting in his bankruptcy and death just three years later. So didn't really have time to revel in that one. Upon receiving the ruby, Edward, the Black Prince, returned to England. Ed would also die from a slow disease before he could inherit the English throne, leaving the ruby to his son, Richard II. Okay. Richard II obviously became king, but then he was murdered at the age of 21 by Henry IV. Bolingbrook was part of the title, too, so it's in my notes. And that was the start of the line of the Lancasterian kings. Okay. Shortly after taking the throne, Henry IV would die a, uh, from a slow onus, leaving Henry V to inherit the throne and the Black Prince's ruby. During his campaign in France, Henry V of England wore a gem-encrusted helmet that included the Black Prince's ruby. In the Battle of Avoncourt on October 25th, 1415, the French Duke of Alencon, Al- Al- yeah, that's fine, tried to remove Henry's head and the helmet with a battle axe. Uh, somehow he fucked that up, though, and Henry lived, and the battle was won. But Henry, yeah, so Henry still won the battle, and the Black Prince's ruby was saved. Now, Richard the Fourth. Nope. Third. Third. Yep. I didn't, I didn't write it in. There's the eyes this time. <coughs> so Richard the third was supposed to have worn the gemstone as well in his helmet at the battle of Bosworth and he died. I don't know why they didn't think of, you know, why did they think that wearing a big shiny fucking red jewel in their helmet was a good idea? Like, I just, I don't understand. Like, I'm going to wear a big expensive flat. Ancient assassins. Aliens. This one was aliens. Okay. There, okay. There's a series of kings dying from mysterious illnesses or misfortune in battle. And this continues through several lineages until the ruby made its hands into... It fell into the hands of the Tudors, basically. Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. At that time, the Black Prince's ruby was inherited by the Tudors in the 16th century and then entered a relatively calm period for the gemstone. Henry VIII, I'm Henry VIII, I am. Henry VIII, I am, I am. His inventory in 1521 mentions a great Ballast ruby set in the Tudor crown, thought to, and this is thought to be the Black Prince's ruby. 
Queen Elizabeth I gifted the ruby to Queen Mary of Scots, who would then pass it down to King James I when the Stuarts took the English throne in 1603. It remained part of the crowned jewels until the time of Oliver Cromwell in the 17th century, and Oliver was an English general and statesman. Politics in this time were shitty because the parliaments were spilt over the issues, or split, I'm sorry, split over the issues of a king. One mission from God, the Charles uh, I was executed and a republic was declared as the Commonwealth of England. Yeah, they're like, fuck this guy, fuck this king, there shouldn't be a king, and then they fucking took his head off. Off with his head. Off with his head. With the exception of the coronation chair and several other items, Cromwell had the crown jewels disassembled and sold. The gold was melted down and made into coins. What happened to the Black Prince's ruby during the Commonwealth of England is not clear. When the ruby was being appraised, the jeweler discovered that the the stone was not a ruby at all. In fact, it was a spinal, spinal, whatever we said earlier, just block that in there. When the monarchy was restored by Charles II in 1660, the jewel was sold to the crown for 15 pounds and was refashioned as the crowning jewel of the imperial state crown. The throne was then inherited by Charles's brother, James II, who was exiled uh, just three years after his coronation, possibly due to the curse. I'm going to say it was aliens. The coronation of Queen, Queen Victoria in 1838 she was crowned with the new imperial state crown made for her by Rundall and Barge Bridge. Rundall and Bridge, with three thousand and ninety-three gems, including the the rubies quote or ruby slash spinal at the front. Uh, this was remade in nineteen thirty-seven into the current lighter crown, which is good because that queen is old as hell. Today, the Black Prince's ruby is on display at the Tower of London with the rest of the crown jewels and a small plaque on the reverse of the gemstone commemorates the crown's history. Yeah, buddy. Still go find this one and stare at it. Well, not right now. You gotta wait. Well, yeah. The way things are looking probably by 2022. Or three. That's the point. All right, I have one last cursed gem, which kind of isn't a gem, but it's considered a gem. It's the Lapering, look, it's a pearl called the Destroyer of Marriages, okay? Now, I fucking love pearls. Like, it's my favorite thing ever. Um, For the witchy minute on the pearls, okay, pearls help to balance the human body's natural rhythms and hormone cycles within a lunar levels of a lunar cycle. If I could talk 
it like it helps bring out inner wisdom and help you realize your true self. It can also promote faith or spirituality and strengthen, kind of nurture the growth of pure love. Also, pearls help connect with the goddesses as a representation of like the ultimate feminine, basically. Pearls are said to help heal the solar plexus and the sacral chakras. So it can help alleviate symptoms and ailments of the stomach, digestion, ulcers. And it was told that the pearls treat aches, colds, allergies, bronchitis, and lung infections. Apparently it can also ease headaches and promote healthy skin. Also, that's, due a, to the, that's, a di- that's a different kind of pearl necklace. I'm just, I'm literally pawing my face. Because pearls are inherently feminine, okay, you can use them for female shit, like infertility, PMS, and the pain of childbirth. So that's all I'm going to say on that. Okay. So for 300 years, the infamous La Perenbrinia pearl was the largest ever found, weighing approximately 56 carats. An African slave actually found the pearl on the coastline on the Isle of Santa Margarita. Yeah, that's Margarita. Okay. The original Margaritaville. Yes. Which is part of the Pearl Islands in the Gulf of Panama. Now, the slave brought it to the Spanish colony's administrator, Don Pedro de Temes, and he granted that slave freedom due to the excellent quality of the gem. So it was so beautiful and valuable. He goes, you're free. So this Don brought the pearl back to Spain where it was given to Philip II. Now Phil presented his new bride with the pearl as a wedding present. Her name was Mary Tudor. And what sucks is she goes through two phantom pregnancies and Her husband just kind of is like, fuck you. I have no love for you anymore. You can't bear me a child. So he leaves Mary and returns to Spain. Four years after he bails on Mary, she dies alone in 1558. And after her death, the pearls return to the Spanish court with a now cursed reputation. Now, during the following century, Habsburg dynasty created by Philip had self-destructed by 1700. Philip himself died painful death of gout, fever, and edema over a period of 52 days. In 1808, Napoleon's older brother, Joseph Bonaparte, it's kind of like Jesus's brother, right? Like nobody ever thinks about Napoleon's brother. Right. Joseph Bonaparte. Yeah. Yes. I wrote this too, and it just, it just struck me. I didn't realize Napoleon had a brother. Also, what a what a normal name. Joseph. Yes. Bonaparte. Yes. Joe. He's a good old Joe. He really is. Average Joe. He sure is. But he became the king of Spain. So maybe not so average. (laughs) You've heard of Joe the plumber? This is Joe the king. Same thing. Spain. Well, it didn't last long. Uh, He was there for like four. No, five years, and then he was forced after um, they went, fuck you, get out after the Battle of Victoria. 
Yeah, that word. And he took the pearl with him. He was like, all right, I'll leave. But as a parting gift, I'm taking this. Pretty much. This did not work out for him, though. <laughs> However, because uh, he died. He died. 1844. And then the pearl passed to his nephew, Charles Louis Bonaparte. Charles and Charles became Napoleon III Emperor of France. Okay. I don't know why I think that's so funny. It's like Charles in charge. It's Charles Bonaparte. And then you have Joe Bonaparte. And then you have Napoleon. So. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So you have the Emperor of France. Who was exiled to England. And he sold the pearl to Lord James Hamilton. The second Duke of Abercorn. And it was during this time that the pearl was given the name. La Peregrina, which means the pilgrim or the wanderer in Spanish. It said that during the next few years, the pearl fell out of its setting at least two times because of its incredible size. The first time the pearl got lost in the sofa at Windsor Castle. Whose <laughs> cheese it's in my sofa? <laughs> These motherfuckers are losing a pearl. <laughs> we are not the pearl same. At this time <laughs> the second time it was lost during a ball at Buckingham Palace. On both occasions, the jewel was recovered. In 1913, the pearl was drilled, clang- cleaned, and polished to secure it firmly to its setting. After the drilling and cleaning, the pearl's re- weight decreased to 203.84 grains. However, it still remains one of the largest perfectly symmetrical pear-shaped pearls in the world. It has remained in the Abercorn family for over a hundred years until they placed the pearl up for auction at Sotheby's in London in 1969. Richard Burton purchased the pearl for $37,000, outbidding a member of the Spanish royal family to give uh, to Elizabeth Taylor as a Valentine's Day gift. How appropriate. How is that for coming around full circle? This is our yeah. Valentine's day episode as we record it's 10 days before valentine's day yes yes that's why i had to sneak it in i know this episode was running long and it's still running long but i had to put it in here so elizabeth taylor later commissions cartier to update the setting for the la parade yeah that pearl okay and the design was influenced by the portrait of mary the first wearing the pearl The setting that she picked included diamonds, rubies, and additional pearls. So Elizabeth, ever the lover of jewelry, wore the pearl frequently. And you can actually see it in the movies of Anne of a Thousand Days, Divorce His, Divorce Hers, and A Little Night Music. Elizabeth was also said to be struck by the Pearl's curse, giving her a tumultuous relationship with Richard Burton um, after they had started an affair on the set of Cleopatra, one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, they're 
their heat, their energy. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, by the time that Richard and, and Elizabeth hooked up, he was husband's number six, her sixth fucking husband. And their relationship ended due to Taylor's alcoholism. And he was a fucking playboy. He couldn't keep it in his pants. The two marriages that followed for Elizabeth did not fare any better. Literally the same thing. She passed away on March 23rd of 2011 from a steady decline of health and pretty much included in congestive heart failure. I think it was interesting that they said that she was cursed because it's like the destroyer of marriages, but all of her relationships were fucking up six what five six times prior to getting the diamond and then the two that followed also fucked up so i don't know that uh, or pearl so i don't know if that's part of the curse or if that's just part of elizabeth taylor but the same year that she died that december the pearl was sold at a christie's auction for record 11 wait hold on $11,842,500 to raise funds for her uh, AIDS foundation. After four and a half minutes of bidding, the pearl is in a new setting, which was purchased by a private buyer in Asia. So you can't see it no more. So that's it. That's all I got for cursed gems. All right. Well, that was a good one. You like that one? That was that was a lot. We 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 got through a lot there. We did, but I purposely saved the sofa thing for you. I'm so glad that it. It worked out. It panned out. I was like, oh, please react to this, please. Okay, Kev, what is a weird but true? All right. This one applies to you. Oh, okay. I'm listening. You better, because I want to save you from getting in trouble. Okay. Witches are banned from flying over 150 meters in the landlocked African nation of Estuani. Any witch caught flying on their broomstick above the 150-meter limit faces arrest and a fine of 5 million whatever the currency in that country is. There's no penalty for flying below 150 meters, though. That's so wow. Broom as long as it's under 150 meters. Yes, as long as you don't go more, as long as you stay below 150 meters in height, you're fine. <laughs> so next time you're flying around Africa, make sure you make make sure you know which nation you're in and adjust your flying height accordingly. <laughs> have to work every day, and there's only one spot where the cops sit, so we everybody who drives on that road knows and slows down right at that one spot. And that's it. Once you get through that spot, you can start speeding. Again. There you go. <laughs> Public service for me to you. And any other witches who may be flying across Africa. Now you know. That's the truth you've done this far. Oh my God. I love that one so much. It was very topical. Thank you. I try my best here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last but not least, Indians actually feel like doing dares this month. I got, you know, I got that that time of day for you. Okay. 
Okay, my darling witches, it's time for your weekly non-offensive dare. You must be a Patreon to participate so you can earn points for your house. Each month, the house with the most points gets to vote on weekly non-offensive dares, topics of future episodes, and so much more. Each week, once you've gotten your dare, you must safely and creatively complete a post on social media so that we can see that you've done the task. You can tag us at Twitter at Macabre Academy, or you can tag us on Instagram at The Macabre Academy, and you must include a hashtag with your house name to obtain the points. The world is a fucked up place. These dares are designed to bring silliness and random acts of kindness into the world. You must safely complete your dare. If you are unsafe, your points will not be counted. You can also earn additional points for your house by being the first to submit episode corrections to us at themacabacademy at gmail.com. Also, if we use your ideas or stories in a future episode, more points may be awarded. Let's return to the podcast to see what your weekly non-offensive dare will be. Kevin, page one, two, or three? Three. Three, okay. Pick a number between 70 and 100 and be careful because we already have like an out. Uh, 82. Did it. Three? Did it. Four. Okay. That's like battleship. You're just like hovering around numbers until you hit a hit a I try my best. Okay. So your non-offensive dare this week is to research your ancestors. There you go. Yeah, your ancestral heritage, whether it's a person, learn more about where the fuck you came from. Enjoy. Not this. There you go. That's the show for the week. We've done we've done another episode. We really did. How are we still here doing the thing? I don't know. Zoe's gotta do it. True. All right. I, I have a fun one for next week, but if Brandy's around, we've got her birthday episode. If not, I got one in the wings. Same bad time, same bad channel. Same bat expired parent coupons. We'll see you then. You're not real with that die, are you? No. This podcast was brought to you by Nerdy Witch in partnership with Sound Maiden. We want to thank all of our wonderful Patreons. For updates, please follow the Macabre Academy on Facebook. Remember to like, share, and listen exclusively on Buzzsprout. Soon, we'll be available wherever you listen to podcasts.